Well, this Tuesday, America is 241 years old. 241 years old. That's a long time for a nation to remain free. But if you look at it within the context of world history, we are really infants. We are really truly infants in this country. You look at nations like Egypt or China, Japan or Greece, and it makes the American history seem much, much too short. Consider the brief time, although it may not be that way to you, consider the brief time that we have been a nation. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence when he was a young man of 33. When he passed away in 1826, Abraham Lincoln was a young boy of 17. When Lincoln was assassinated in 1865, Woodrow Wilson was a boy of only eight years old. And when Woodrow Wilson passed away in 1924, the future 41st president of these United States, George Herbert Bush, was born the same exact year. Four men, four presidents, take us all the way back to the very beginning of our country 241 years ago. We are indeed very young, but we stand tall among the nations of the world because of the principles that we are, have established and that we try to live by. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thus begins the Declaration of Independence, which we certainly celebrate this Independence Weekend. And I celebrate with you freedoms which God has blessed our great nation with. However, I cannot tell you this morning whether God has blessed us with liberty and therefore we are free, or whether we have wisely and simply built our liberty based on biblical principles, and thus we are free. But in any case, I can tell you this, our freedom comes from God. Our freedom comes from God. There is no greater gift under heaven than freedom. And we should never take our freedoms for granted, whether they be political, emotional, physical, or spiritual. Now, you all know there are different types of freedoms, always. Paul Harvey, the great radio commentator, when his Now You Know the Rest of the Story, told this story once. He said, uh, there were a group of scientists who got together, and they were trying to get a chimpanzee to write. They figured if he gave him enough time and enough work, the chimpanzee would finally come up with a good sentence. They worked for 14 years with this chimpanzee. They labored diligently, patiently, providing all sorts of symbols that he could learn how to write. And finally, the day arrived when it looks like the chimpanzee was going to put a sentence together. So they called all the scientists together, and they stood around the cage with the chimpanzee with bated breath, watching every move that the chimp made. And sure enough, the chimp finally wrote a sentence, and the scientists gawked, and the chimpanzee was, wrote, let me out. <laughs> we don't like to be physically trapped. We don't like to be in a cage, neither did the chimpanzee. That's one physical form of freedom. That's the only thing you'll remember the rest of the sermon, the chimpanzee, I know. Let me out. 
But we love our freedom and we never can seem to get enough of our freedom. But in today's scriptural passage, Paul talks about a different kind of freedom. It isn't free in the sense of no cost. In fact, the freedom that is purchased has a very great cost because it costs Jesus his own life. And it isn't something for nothing. In fact, actually, it's becoming slaves. Slaves by giving our love and service to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul challenges the church in Galatia. That's what Paul challenges Centenary United Methodist Church in Danville. It's almost an oxymoron when you think about it. Everybody know what an oxymoron is? Two contrasting terms that you use together. They contradict each other. Any of you who have read William Shakespeare will find one. As Juliet talking to Romeo says, parting is such sweet sorrow. You have other questions or other examples. For example, when you give your child milk in a plastic glass. Or when you go to your favorite seafood restaurant, and what do you order? Jumbo shrimp. That's an oxymoron. And this is a Christian oxymoron that we're talking about because Paul presents it in a contradiction of terms, costly freedom and voluntary slavery. Costly freedom and voluntary slavery. And it might help to look, first of all, the fact that our freedom is a free gift from God. In his letter to the church at Galatia, Paul is describing Jesus, the one who gave himself up for our sins to set us free. Chapters 3 and 4 in this book of Galatians talk about extended arguments about how the coming of Christ has made believers free from the law. No longer are they slaves to sin, slaves to the law. In fact, we are children, heirs of God. And all this is a free gift. We have done nothing to deserve it. There's absolutely nothing we can do to buy it. It is given out of God's love for us. But on the other side of this phrase, on the other side of this oxymoron, this free gift comes at an extremely high price. Paul is adamant about the fact that Jesus' suffering and death on the cross were critical to securing our freedom. If you look at Galatians 3, it says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. And later in the same chapter, he writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Redeeming us by becoming a curse for us. And as a result, these Galatians felt that they were certainly free. Free from slavery to sin, free from the law. And yet their freedom was not a freedom that they could do whatever they please, whenever they wanted. Instead, Paul is saying, no, you've actually entered into a voluntary slavery. You are here to love and to care for one another and to follow God's way and not your way. That was important for the Galatians to hear, just like it's important for us to hear. Because the community was in conflict. There were people who felt that the cross of Jesus Christ was not enough. We still had to keep all the Jewish traditions and all the Jewish laws. Not the least of which Paul is addressing is the circumcision of males. Some disagreed over Paul's leadership. Some even refused to eat with others because they didn't like him. That's where the verse comes in, in 15 where he says, You bite and devour one another. That's physically and probably gossip. You bite and devour one another. And later in the chapter, Paul gives us a whole list of destructive behaviors. 
I'm sure not only part of Galatia, but probably part of our society as well. Fornication, idolatry, jealousy, anger, envy, drunkenness, the list goes on. You see, the Galatians thought that they were exercising their freedom by engaging in whatever behaviors they wanted to. And actually, they were destroying their community and destroying each other by exercising that freedom in such a way. But the biblical view of freedom, the view that I want to impress upon you, is that freedom is not freedom to sin. It is freedom from sin. That's a big difference. It's not freedom to sin and do whatever you want to. It's freedom from sin. And it opens up a whole new world of what you can do for Jesus Christ and what you can do for the kingdom. Instead of indulging ourselves and behaving in ways that destroy relationships one with another, we need to practice the fruits of the Spirit. Love and joy, peace and patience, generosity, gentleness, that list goes on as well. But it's still today just like it spoke to Galatia. Our community, our church, our country, we all have a tendency to look at our freedoms and say, hey, I can do whatever I want. That's what freedom means. I don't care about you, but I'm free. I can do whatever I want. And that's not true. We do whatever we please instead of actually loving and serving and caring for one another. We bite and devour one another. And you don't have to look on the internet or watch the television or read in the newspaper too long to figure out just how bad it gets when we start biting and devouring one another. There's all sorts of things that lead to this. Sometimes it's exploitation of other people. Maybe it's child labor. Who do you think makes those Nike runny shoes? Who puts them together? They come very cheap so that you can pay like $150 for them. How about the exploitation of environment and resources? You know, you can go right outside this door after the service, and you can get a nice, long, cool drink of water. Do you know how precious that is in some of the countries around the world? You know, when I get in the shower, oh man, I just love let that water run. I could probably feed a small nation with water by the water that I waste and use because I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking about loving and serving my brother and sister elsewhere. Sometimes we use far too much energy We take for granted that when you flip that little switch on, the lights are going to come on. That's not true around the world, but it certainly is true most of the time in this country. We use power and we abuse power. And unfortunately, what does it say? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And closer to home, there are all sorts of things that we could talk about. We could talk about spousal abuse or child abuse, or drug addiction, or homelessness. And while they may not affect us individually, they affect our community, and thereby they affect us. They affect us. If freedom is only defined as doing whatever you please, live and let live, then we're never going to solve these problems, folks. Do you hear me? If it's simply about live and let live, you do like you want to do, I'll do like I want to do, we are never going to solve any of these problems. None of them. None of them. 
We have to look at things differently as Christ would want us to look at them, not simply as brothers and sisters in Christ, but as a church, whether that church is here or halfway around the world. The kind of Christian freedom talked about in the text today plays a very important role. We can use our freedom to love our neighbor, to care for our neighbor, to serve our neighbor. And Paul challenges that, challenges the church in Galatia, challenges the church at Danville. Serve and love your neighbor. We have the freedom to do what is right. Let us do it. On a practical level, maybe it means we refuse to engage in adultery or domestic violence. We refuse to be excessive drinkers or use recreational drugs. Maybe it's simply diffusing road rage. Have you ever been on a road? You've been backed up. It goes on forever. And then some jerk decides to take a shortcut right down the shoulder. Boom! You ever seen that? The only thing that makes it worthwhile is when you finally get up there and the state police have pulled him to the side. Don't get raged out on the road. Maybe it means giving generously to relief efforts. Or maybe it means stop complaining, stop gossiping, and start loving one another. Tell me what all your complaining and your gossiping have accomplished, and I'll tell you absolutely nothing. And I didn't say the solution was easier. I just said your complaining and gossiping haven't solved anything. Not a thing. Perhaps you're asking me, okay, pastor, that's a lot of ills you're talking about. I mean, I'm just one person. We're just one church. How can one person or one church ever expect to accomplish all that? And if you look at the massive amount that's wrong with our world or our country or our community, it's a lot. It's a lot. And maybe I'm not saying that every individual in here or this church as a whole can solve all those problems, but brothers and sisters, it has to start somewhere. It has to start somewhere. And Jesus Christ asked his disciples, Paul asked the people at Galatia, and I'm asking you, let it start with you. Let it start with you. Think about what you all are going to do this week. Think about it. Think about the lives you're going to touch. Think about the love you're going to share. Think about the little people you're going to want to love. Think about the effect that you can have on their lives. Think about the rest of you, where you're going to go, where you're going to work, what you're going to do this week. Think about the people you can touch by loving and caring and serving them. We have a wonderful gift of freedom in Christ, and we are called to use that freedom not to indulge ourselves, but to love others. We've got to start somewhere, and this is just a good place, as good a place as any. Paul would tell you, I want you to satisfy Christ and not gratify yourself. I want you to satisfy Christ and not gratify yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've always understood that to mean we have a mutual responsibility to one another. Everything we do impacts the body of Christ. And there are folks out there that are watching you. Do you understand that? They're watching this church. They're watching you when you're out there. You're Christians. If you backbite, if you gossip, if you get all upset, they're going to say, geez, I can get that at the bowling alley or the bar. I don't need to go to church. But if you're trying to love one another and serve one another and care one another, you're going to be an example that people want to say, I want a little of that. 
I want to find out what he or she has. I want to understand that love. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was easy, and neither did Christ. But that's what he asked of us. That's what he wants us to do. Let me ask you a question this morning. How far are you willing to go for your neighbor? How far are you willing to go for your neighbor? And I'm not talking about the neighbor next door that brings you chocolate chip cookies on your birthday and you really, really love. I'm talking about the guy across the street that you can't stand. He parks his car out there, lets his dog do his business on your lawn. He's up all night yelling at his wife, abusive language. That's the guy I'm talking about. How far are you willing to go for your neighbor? For your neighbor. Not long ago, about uh, six weeks ago, I had an opportunity to watch Mel Gibson's latest movie. It's called Hacksaw Ridge. Actually, it's a rather bloody movie. But it has a wonderful story behind it. It's about one Desmond Doss. True story. He was a conscientious objector. And the army did everything they could to get rid of him. He refused to pick up a rifle because he took that commandment of thou shalt not kill to heart. And the army said, well, how can we use you? You won't even pick up a rifle. You're not going to defend your comrades in battle. You're not going to defend our country in freedom. If you're not going to shoot somebody, how can we use you? Desmond refused to do that, but I'll tell you what Desmond did do. He picked up a little medical kit and was the greatest hospital corpsman that you could possibly imagine. He was about saving lives, not taking lives. Hacksaw Ridge is in Okinawa. I've had the opportunity to fly over Hacksaw Ridge more often than not, a number of times. It's about 200 feet straight up a cliff. The Japanese had been entrenched on Hacksaw Ridge for years. When the Army and Marines were there, they had to climb up the cliff and try to get rid of the Japanese, and that was no simple project. Needless to say, when you got up at the top, the bullets flew, the grenades flew, the mortars flew. And much of Desmond's company had to retreat back down. But Desmond stayed topside. It is estimated that he saved at least 75 of his comrades from dying on the top of that ridge. He also saved several Japanese soldiers from their wounds from dying on that ridge. He stayed up there all night lowering bodies, men in a sling. He was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, but that wasn't the most important thing to him. It was the fact that he had loved his neighbor, even the one that was trying to kill him. By God's grace, And by the freedom he enjoyed, he was trying to save not only his friends, but his enemy. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for another. Christ is the one who gave his life for us so that we don't have to bear the weight of our burdens and sins. We don't have to be ensnared or bound or imprisoned by whatever is holding us. We can be free. 
but you may ask free to do what? And that is free to follow him. Today we meet at his table, a table open to all people, young and old alike. And this table is a banquet of grace for all of us. Jesus, the Son of God, is the host, and we are all invited as his honored guest to come forward and to remember. And while we only receive a small piece of bread and a little cup of juice, at this table of grace, it's actually an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's where you can empty yourselves of all the burdens of this life. This is the table of grace that can fill up your souls from the inside out. And it's where you are set free from whatever ensnares you, from whatever holds you back. You are set free in Jesus Christ. As I close today, I want to remind you that with freedom comes great responsibility. Whether that is physical freedom or whether that is political freedom, or whether that is spiritual freedom. It comes with a great deal of responsibility. To whom much is given, much is expected. We are free in Him, but as such, we are slaves to His love and sharing that love with others. As you come to His table this day, I want you to come and remember the cost of the gift. I want you to come and celebrate the freedom that you have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to remember the responsibility that comes in following Him. Would you bow your heads with me, please?